Is there anything we can glean from the scripture maybe that applies to our hope and our future? Today, we'll briefly consider how this frightful picture of impending judgment should reassure us that God will ultimately punish evil and encourage us in the meantime to remain steadfast in our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. So some of you are probably a little bit familiar with this. Again, this is, is a little bit of an unfamiliar passage. I promise you before we're done, we will hit a passage that is most likely unfamiliar to all of us. And I'll also tell you a little bit more about why I'm carrying a, uh, an object up here. I have a little bit of a, just a visual illustration for us to think about this morning. And if you would, Revelation 6, 1 to 8, if you would turn, that, turn there with me, uh, we're going to be looking at the translation I pulled from is New English Translation, but this passage reads very similar no matter which translation you're looking at. Would you read with me? I looked on when the Lamb, somebody say Jesus, when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a thunderous voice, Come. So I looked, and here came a white horse. The one who rode it had a bow. And it was given a crown. And as a conqueror, he rode to conquer. Then when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another horse, fiery red, came out, and the one rode on it was granted permission to take peace from the earth so that the people would butcher one another. And he was given a huge sword. Now, I'll stop right here and say, this morning, if you're hoping to walk out of here with answers to all of these different pictures and images, that is not the point of this sermon. So, Chrissy was hoping that I would not confuse anyone this morning, and I'll just go ahead and set it in your mindset right now, that if you're looking for all of these answers this morning, you will be confused. <laughs> so, go ahead and take that away as the goal. We're not looking to break down this symbolic apocalyptic text and try to assign identities to each person and figure out who's the red rider. That's not, that's not the purpose of the sermon. But the purpose is for God's word, put your hand on your heart, for God's word to, to hit right here, for it to find a resting place, and for the point of the text to accomplish its work. Amen? I will say the Revelation series we've been doing on Wednesday night is fantastic. The live footage of that is still up on YouTube and Facebook. Brother Larry did a fantastic job with this passage and breaking down the whole chapter of chapter 6 and different things. And again, as, as I'll mention again in a second with this illustration, this is something that should not be a dogmatic, that the main things are the main things, that Jesus Christ is coming back, that our hope is secure, that we're to be looking and expecting him to return and set these things right, but for us not to get too caught up divisively on whatever specific topic. Amen? We good? All right, let's continue on verse 5, halfway down with the Revelation passage for today. This is the third seal. Verse 5, chapter 6. Then when the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. So I looked, and here came a black horse. The one who rode it had a balanced scale in his hand, like a sense of measuring... Then I heard something like a voice from among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat. Keep in mind this idea of wheat. We'll come back to this at the end of the sermon. A quart of wheat will cost a day's pay, and three quarts of barley will cost a day's pay. Things are getting expensive. But do not damage the oil and the wine. There's some things that are, that are set aside. 
Then when the lamb, the lamb opened the fourth seal, who's the one opening the seal? Amen. I heard the fourth living creature. Again, these are creatures around the throne of God, worshiping him day and night. There, he, the creature says, come. So I looked and here came a pale green horse. The name of it who rode on the horse was death and Hades followed right behind. Listen to this now. They were given authority. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill its population with the sword, famine, and disease, and by wild animals of the earth. Again, I'll, I'll point your attention to this text, but also the point A of here, because I'll go ahead and mention the first A. Timing and specific interpretation of these symbols are not the primary thing here. And I just want to bring out this scroll, because a lot of times we, we think about this, and this is not to be a dogmatic point, but just something to think about, because it was kind of an interesting thing for me, and it's an encouragement to keep coming to the Scripture with kind of fresh eyes and saying, God, what are you saying to us? How do we look at the future, and what's going on? Because, you know, I've, I've heard people try to assign countries to these different horses and, and time periods and all kind of things. How many of you see what's, what's going on here? There's a scroll. It's got text on the inside and the outside, and it's wound up with seven seals. And I can say, no matter how you look at it, historically, the church has always looked at it as you have seven seal judgments, you have seven trumpet judgments, and you have seven bowl judgments. And this is God's judgment on the world. And this scroll, by the way, none can open. The lamb is the only one that can open the seal. There's none found worthy but the lamb. So it's God's plan. It's God's plan of salvation and judgment that will bring about all that will happen going forward. Well, typically, when you think about the first seal opening, in my estimation, you always think, hey, here's the beginning of judgment, right? Well, if you think about this and look at this, you see how some of the seals are open and some of the seals are not open? Something to think about, but to me, the scroll is not open yet. And so I think it's something that we can look at our world today and we can see conquering and conquest happening. We can see war happening. We can see injustice and on a certain level, we see a level of famine and, and things going on. But what I will say is probably the most difficult of any of the verses that we just read was the fourth of the earth that is killed in this final judgment. As bad as things are, I can say that we're, we're not there, Right? And so again, the point of this is not to get super specific with timelines and all those things. And I think the only thing I know for sure about the rapture is that God has said that no man knows the day or the hour, right? And so Christ is coming back and we're to expect that now if, Lord, if the Lord would, right? That, that, would be, that would be the best case scenario is that God would go ahead and come back and call his church to him. But it's hard to know for certain where we're at on this. So potentially some of this is more of an overview than I would have historically thought about. So I think it's just something interesting for us to consider and to think about. Look at point B here. And this is where I really want us to shift into the, the, the whole point of why we're here today. What's going on? Should the things that are happening in this text cause us to fear? And look, we can take, we can take out of it, you know, maybe this is something that won't happen in our time, but we certainly see war. We see the problems that are mentioned in these first three seals. We see those in our day. Amen. Should the evil in the world cause us to fear, cause us to be so concerned about our future as gas prices and whatever just seems to go totally crazy? Should it cause us to fret about 
the quote-unquote plans that we have for our own life? I think there's a very definitive answer in Scripture. But first, let's look to the Old Testament for context. Amen? If you would flip, if you have a physical Bible, flip to Zechariah, the end of your Old Testament. Zechariah 6, 1 to 8. This is a Scripture that I'm, certainly for me, was not something that I was real familiar with. Um, how many of you know apocalyptic literature, which is what Revelation is? It's kind of a hard thing to manage because you've got lots of pictures, lots of symbols well, most people think Revelation is the hardest thing to interpret, but you look at the Old Testament, and Zechariah is an apocalypse kind of picture in the Old Testament with even more symbols and probably an even harder thing to really wrap your mind around. But this morning, I just want to encourage us with a simple point from eight verses. So it happens to be chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 of Zechariah. And if you look with me on that, we'll read Zechariah 6, 1 through 8. Once more I looked, and this time I saw four chariots emerging from between two mountains of bronze. Harnessed to the first chariot were red horses, to the second, black horses, to the third, white horses, and to the fourth, spotted horses, all of them strong. Now this last type of verse, the last type of horse in verse 3, there's different translations that say different things, and I'll give you my opinion real quick is that and it, Tammy, if you put up the horses again, I chose this picture based on the two of these pastors together. Because you can say whatever about the pale green horse that we've already looked at. At the time of this writing, there was no word for yellow. So you can think of that. A lot of translations where you say dappled or spotted, you see a little bit, there's some spots on that final horse. There's a lot of controversy over what this final horse is in the Zach- Zechariah passage. You have it translated different ways. Some say dappled. Some say spotted, some, some will say yellow, some say gray. Point being, I think there's four types of horses. Can we agree on that? Amen. So you have these four horses, and I believe historically there's enough connection between these two that whatever John's seeing, John knows his scripture. I think on some level John pulls from this other vision into this as he's going forward, right? There's a lot of Old Testament in Revelation, even though Revelation doesn't say, and the Old Testament said, and this verse, da, 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 there's picture and symbolism all throughout Revelation of different Old Testament passages. And I think it's fairly clear that this is at least a connection on some level. Okay? So let's keep going and read at least the rest of this passage. Verse 4 of Zechariah 6. Then I asked the angelic messenger who was speaking to me, what are these, sir? The messenger replied, these are the four spirits of heaven going out after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses is going to the north country. The the presenting here kind of feels like a kind of a Job setting where you have these beings present themselves before God and they're going out. Verse 6 says, the chariot with the black horses is going to the north country. The white ones are going after them, but the spotted ones are going to the south country. All of these are scattering. They have sought permission to go and to walk about over the earth. The Lord has said, go, walk about over the earth. So they are doing so. And then verse 8 is interesting because you get a little different picture of the Old Testament specific context here. Then he cried out to me, look, the ones going to the Northland have brought me peace about the Northland. And that's all we'll read here because the rest of the vision goes on to different areas and different ideas. The Old Testament piece was written during a time of a man named Cyrus. Raise your hand if you've heard that, familiar with Cyrus. He's the, the Persian leader who comes and begins to let some people go. The exiles begin to, to trickle home. 
And there's a sense of peace and freedom happening. Very different from the persecution of the Romans during when Revelation is written, right? So you have a different thing happening here. But what I believe is interesting here is that these symbols of direction where it says they're scattering through symbols. Look at point B here. Two and B on your outline. Through symbols of direction, God is showing himself sovereign. You have the peace happening in the Old Testament, but he's sovereign regardless. He's sovereign over all, in all times of history. He's working, and God has all power. Amen. And one more point, in case you're like just annoyingly detail-oriented like me. Let's put up the, the maps, Tammy, if you would. Because no one else may have picked up on this, but in case you did pick up on this, there's a couple maps that I put together from screenshots yeah, of Israel. Russian city hit by a meteorite. The video is extraordinary. I just I think that's two different watching this. Overnight, our reporter arrived on the scene. That's right, more than if you just clear the audio, then it should be fine. I may have uploaded it wrong. Sorry about that. In the foreground, ignore the, the dancing stuff behind it. <laughs> You'll see a couple images here that I pulled together from just simple maps of the region. In case you're wondering why it says they're scattering and they only went north and south, any of you familiar with what a chariot does? If you look at the region there, when you have Israel going out, you have a northern advancement and a southern advancement. It's still kind of comprehensive, right? Chariots don't go into the water. And if you're going to conquer and whatever, they're probably not going to go into the Arabian desert. Right. The Bible scholars, even those of you that are familiar with Abraham's passage when they went from Ur and they first said, go, okay, we're following God's call, they went up along the river and then down from the north into the promised land, even then. So there's this northern and south advancement where these horses are going out, and somehow he says, still, all these strong ones are scattering. Amen. You, got, you follow on that? So it's, it's a little bit different, because when I first read through, I was like north and south, and I was reading different words behind it. I was like, I don't get that this is, really deals with the, the four north, south, east, west. It doesn't really comprehend that to me. But when you look at it, and you think about the map, and you can see even the modern region of where the cities are built up. Even now, the, the populations and where the people live, it's very specific, right? You know, there's areas that just are not as, quote-unquote, as populated as the rest. So think about that. Okay? These are all things to consider in how we think about these things. But my point is that these scriptures are tied together. And when we look to the future, when we think about how much this has happened, what's on the horizon, what will I have to go through as an individual? We know what we're going through even now. It's funny because I wasn't planning on saying this, but the audio y'all heard for a second was some of the scripture, or the uh, application points that Larry pulled in on Revelation 6 about a meteor hitting in, in Russia. Do you remember how long ago that was, Larry? because I was not familiar with that, in 2013. Point being, there's things that we know that are happening even now, even things that we've lived, lived through. I'm sure those of you that are generations older can look back and say, well, I remember when XYZ happened, it was really traumatic, even whatever decade past it would have been. But how do these things affect us? How do they shake us? And I would call at least the pricing for now as we shift more into really heavy application. Because I can say ultimately, a point C here, I have seen... And you all can say the same thing. You can see and experience such hardship, but should we fear what's ahead? I will say this even with the period of what's going on with Cyrus. They weren't really living in freedom, but God said he had brought peace because there was a sense of understanding of what the peace is. So look at point three. 
Of course, we're not to fear. That's the biblical answer. But what's our part? We're to commit to him in sincere faith. I will say, as a general rule, this church prays for each and every one of you sitting out there. We have staff meeting Monday morning, and as we were praying for different ones and and praying for things going on, there were some young people that just names were called, and we were praying over these specific individuals. And it was so cool because I had already prepped the sermon. I I mentioned how long ago the, the bones of it had come, but I haven't touched this on some level in weeks now. So the scripture was already laid out. And Larry began to pray about the devil wanting to sift people as wheat. And I told him later after that staff meeting, I was like, you have no idea, Larry. That, that's, like the, that's like the point of this whole message that we're preaching. And it was a powerful time of prayer. But my point is that even as we look, and if you would, one connecting point I'll, I'll throw up, because I think this is important to tie these pieces together. Would you look at Psalms 20 and 7? Hey, Matt, you can just begin to play lightly. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Where's your focus this morning? Are you caught up in what you know that you can accomplish, the things that you want to accomplish? Because yes, these Revelation pictures and Zechariah, there's things that they're expressing, but in the natural, what these things were, were, were symbols of power. And we may not see chariots going out. CNA may not be broadcasting how Russia's moving in with the chariots. That's not the time period we're living in. But there's still things that we can be tempted to trust in. But ultimately, we have to remember the name of the Lord our God. That has to be where we find our hope and our future and place our faith in daily. And if you would again... Tammy, look to Luke twenty-two thirty-one. This is something that was said to Peter around the table right before they instituted the Last Supper. But it applies to each and every one of us. If you are a son or daughter of God, this is something that we have to be aware of. Jesus said to Simon Peter, that Satan has asked for you. He's desired you that he may sift you as wheat. And again, outside of the context, I don't know if many of you know what the sifting as wheat is, but there's this idea of the wheat and the chaff and the way you prepare wheat, and there's a shaking that happens. And a lot of times we go through things that we're like, God, why are you allowing me to go through this? Sometimes we go through a shaking in our life. But how does this tie into the gospel? Where does this connect to our faith? 2 Corinthians 4.8 says something very specific that I think ties into this picture. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. I was telling someone about this, and as you look at Genesis 3, 15, I think there's a very clear picture of the serpent's head being crushed. Well, here it says that that we're not crushed. And so when you're in Christ, yeah, the devil and things that life throws at you, you may feel a shaking, you may feel a struggle, 
But what does that do to you? Do you let it crush you? Because if you're in Christ, there is no crushing that we experience. Satan ultimately will be crushed. I believe he was stomped right in the head at the cross. And ultimately, we know he's not dead, but I think there's even pictures in Revelation of, of someone with a, with a mortal head wound rising again. I think there's this concept of, of a false figure of Christ that, that dies and somehow is still living and then has to be put under again. But the believer doesn't go through that. So you may go through persecution and struggle and whatever kind of trial you may have, but putting your faith in Christ... And I don't just mean like, oh, I got saved, X, Y, Z, however. No, no, no. Actively putting your faith in Christ. There's no crushing that we go through. And if there is, on any level, think about the gospel, because this is the only connecting point where you can possibly say that there is a struggle. Like an ultimate struggle. Matthew 3, 12. John the Baptist talking about Jesus, speaking on this concept of wheat, Jesus coming, the baptizer of the Holy Ghost and fire, but he has a winnowing fan in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor, his threshing floor. That's where you have the wheat being gathered and getting all the impurities out of it. The chaff is the part of the wheat that should just drift away. Christ will gather his wheat into his barn and he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So if there's anything to be concerned about, it's not getting sifted and being the wheat that goes through some kind of a pushing, some kind of a perplexing struggle. It's being found not to be wheat at all, to be that stuff that gets kicked to the side and cleansed with unquenchable fire. That's what we should be concerned of. There should be a healthy fear of the Lord that we have that says, okay, am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? And finally, to the graduates and each one out here, the final three points is, is there's three main practical takeaways I want you to see. That each of us need to trust him. That there should not be any concern when you come to God and say, oh, does he have my best at heart? Does he love me? Is there any concern of, is he just or not? Like back, back in the garden, Eve was not sure if God was being forthright. I'm not real sure if, if, if God was, if he had my, maybe God's keeping something from me. That should never, ever be where we come to. We have to trust him fully. And then when you trust him fully, there can be this desire. I pray this for myself, that I have a greater desire to intimately know him. Because that's an active thing. It's easy to grow cold and weary and, and whatever, but do you desire to know your maker, your savior, your redeemer in a fresh and an encouraging and the way that he's called us to know him? And then finally, we need to count him as completely sufficient because if he's not sufficient, then it goes back to that chariot idea. What are we trusting in? And it's great, pursue your, your goals, your vocational, whatever may have you, but do not, they say like, don't put your eggs all in that basket. Don't put any of your faith eggs in that basket. You've got to be understanding that this is what I'm called to do, this is what I'm to walk in, but would the Holy Spirit walk with me and allow me to accomplish these very normal things that I've set out to do? 
Because all of those things can be good things, but we can miss God in the midst of all that. 